in the military, which is, you know, a lot of people say, don't volunteer for anything. And he goes, no, you should volunteer for what you want because you'll be voluntold for many years. And if you volunteer for the things you want, then you'll do it better and you won't be voluntold as often. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I am so super excited to bring a really good friend of mine onto the show today. Amy T. Meyer is somebody that I have gotten to know over the last couple of years through many of the masterminds that we are both in. And she is a fantastic human being. It's so hard to even put the amazingness of what she does for veterans and nonprofits and just the human um, beings around her into words. I'm super excited to have her here to talk about all of the amazing lessons that she's learned around success. Her superpower and passion is helping others, organizations, and groups do things that support and develop a better society. She has been doing this work for over 30 years, and she's volunteered, coordinated, and contributed on every level of organizations supporting youth, fitness, military, veterans, and the arts. I am super excited to be able to bring her in, let her tell her story, and be able to dig in to some of the amazing things that the military and family and speaking and nonprofits and volunteering and all of that has been able to bring into her life and her success lessons for you. Without further ado, let's go ahead and have this conversation with Amy. Hi, everybody. Hey, thank you. thank you so much for being here. Absolutely my pleasure. So let's go ahead and dig in, first of all, to who you are. I always love starting with this idea of what you thought your life was going to be like before you knew what your life was going to be like. So when you think back to teenager Amy, what did you think you'd be doing? So I always knew that I was going to be a soldier. And then I actually had thought I was going to be a lawyer. Really? As Yes, because I love law um, shows and different things like that. And interestingly enough, I put my ex-husband all the way through law school. Okay. I was going to say thank you so much for saying, for not saying that you love arguing. People are often like, oh my gosh, I wanted to go to law school because I love arguing. And I'm like, that is not what makes you a good attorney. Sorry to, to break it to you. So, so for me, it's, um, I love research, kind of the history of things and why, you know, even a law exists on the books and there's so many quirky laws. Yeah. It's know? so true. It's and so true state by state. Like there used to be a law in Washington state that it was okay to, to um, speed if you're driving to church. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I, did you come from a military family? You said that you always knew that you were going to be a soldier. Where did that come from in your life? Um, I do. My dad um, was in the Marine Corps um, 
my aunts and uncles all served. And I just, um, I think I just always thought that that was going to be um, something that I did. I feel like almost like um, one child in the family needed to, and I knew it wasn't going to be my brother. Okay. You and know? did you, and do you only have one brother? I only have one brother. Okay. And was your expectation right? Well, as far as going into the military, yeah. When I actually, here's the funny thing. I became a naturalized citizen at 16 and joined oh, really? the army at 17. Where were you born? I was born in Canada. Okay. And That's so, so I didn't know that about you. Yeah. That's interesting. And so I have lots of family up in Canada um, still. What part of Canada? Uh, Prince George, British Columbia. So it was really, yeah. my dad was born in Fort St. John. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So okay. I still have family up there too. So it's crazy. I haven't heard anybody say Prince George in, in a long time. That's way up there. Yeah. Yeah. That's and awesome. So I had uh, family fly in this just in the last couple of weeks that actually went up to um, Prince George to visit um, my cousins up there. Oh, wow. Wow. That's so crazy. It's beautiful up there for sure. So you moved to the United States, you become a naturalized citizen, you join the military, you, what branch did you join? So I joined the army. My dad really wanted me to go into the Marine Corps, but they're like women. Yeah. We don't need you. Yeah. And Has that changed at all in, in your knowledge since you joined? Um, well, I think recruiting is different as far as, um, it's just whatever is needed. Mm. So I, I, you know, nowadays, I don't think a recruiter would say the things that they said back then. Well, they but, can't. I mean, whether they right. think them or not, but nobody wants to get sued, right? Right. But I also feel like um, if if they don't need uh, females for whatever, and right now, all recruiting is down, so everybody's needed, so nobody would say it. But theoretically, if women, if, those, if their slots for female um, Marines were filled, I could feel like they would be non-helpful mm. because I think that's a people thing. Yeah. Like yeah, I'm I can definitely see that. Backwards for you if I don't need you. Yeah, absolutely. So are you still in at this point in time or have you now left the military? So I only stayed in, so I've left the military um, for one tour in the army. And then I got out and I went into the Navy reserves and I actually became a construction worker in the Navy and they're called CBs. Okay. And I did sheet metal work. Cause that's what my dad did. He did, uh, he owned his own company for years and he did heating, ventilating, architectural sheet metal. Okay. So I always joke, he can't ever say I didn't listen because I listened so well. I, um, uh, the Navy allowed me to just take the final exams. So I never went to school for sheet metal but I got to um, serve as a sheet metal worker. That's amazing. Um, I've known you for a couple of years now, and you are this incredibly strong and this um, amazing presence that just like walks into a room and everybody gravitates to it. And I see this part of you that is bulldozer style almost in a good way. Did that, did you always have that or did that come from the military? Um, I think that it came, actually, I'd have to say that I think that came from my dad because he was very entrepreneurial. And I think in the military, I struggled with it simply because um, it's not traditionally how women act. Mm -hmm. 
So I was one of the first women in light infantry and in a lot of things that people don't realize is there's lots of logistics, like there's no bathrooms for women. Okay. And so, or there's, you know, um, rooms that are only sectioned off with guys kind of, and uh, a lot of those things didn't bother me whatsoever. Like that's just, it's not personal. That Mm -hmm. was just the way the building was made or whatever. And so we just have to, kind of work around it. Whereas now I think things are, are completely different, but, um, you know, they don't do hazing nowadays so much, but they did back in that time. And there was a lot of men that were resentful for me being in the space that I was just existing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they would come up with different challenges thinking that they, you know, they got me taken care of or whatever. Um, and to me, it was just like a puzzle. Like, how can I do it faster, better and by myself, mm. you know, and that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. What do you think are two of the biggest skills that you picked up in the military mindset wise or behavior or leadership wise, whatever comes to your mind that serve you well in what you do post-military? Um, I would probably that I can do it and that I don't have to believe other people's narratives. Like mm-hmm. I asked to go to air assault school and I had a new, uh, first sergeant and he said, no, you're too weak. There's no way you would be successful. So I don't know. It was like a month later I had asked to go to Korea cause I needed to get out of Fort drum. And, um, uh, I was running uh, six miles to Bible study and I'd bring a backpack and then I'd change clothes, go to Bible study and run six miles back. Cause I didn't have a, um, a vehicle. And mind you at this time, I was 18 years old stationed at Fort drum, 18 or 19 by this time. And he comes up to me, he goes, you know, if you weren't coming, um, coming down on orders for Korea, I'd put you in air assault school. You're so much stronger. And it dawned on me, nothing had changed. Mm-hmm. that wasn't a new habit I had started because he said I needed to train. And so it made a real big impression that other people's perspectives, I have to choose whether they will stop me. Yeah. And so I let him stop me because you don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. but never again. Now I know. That's amazing. So tell me about some of the volunteer work that you do in the nonprofit that you work with, because I think that this is such an incredible part of your story is the way that you have found to pay it forward in um, the lessons that you've learned in your life. So for me, um, I come from a volunteering family. Like I remember my grandma crocheting um, blankets and hats for um, people experiencing homelessness. And I, and we worked at soup kitchens and my dad did things. And he always said, you should volunteer um, in the military, which is, you know, a lot of people say don't volunteer for anything. And he goes, no, you should volunteer for what you want because you'll be voluntold for many. Yes. And if you volunteer for the things that you want, then you'll do it better and you won't be voluntold as often because you're already a contributor. And so, um, so I use that in the military and that really served me well, because I will say um, my, the very first first sergeant told me he hated female soldiers. He felt they're more wow. trouble. On earth. If you ever have a problem, don't come to me. 
And then like six months later, he was like, you're an amazing soldier. Do you want awards or rank? And I was like, I would like rank because that's money. Yeah. He ended up being a really neat guy and eventually like a mentor. But his first, you know, knee jerk response to me being there just existing as a woman wasn't great. Did you ever see that change? So did for you, you obviously proved yourself to him in his eyes, but other women that you saw come after you, did he have that same pattern with them? You know, I don't, so the, there was only four women in the entire barracks when I was there and we were all in different companies. Um, so I really didn't see women after me. I would like to believe so. Mm -hmm. I would like to believe that he did because he, we ended up doing well together. Mm. I do feel like, and, and I think in the nonprofit world in this area, I had a general who didn't like me because I wasn't a officer or an officer's wife. And he did some horrible things, but then eventually I just kept on being me. I didn't run after him. I just, but I did just keep on being me and keep on going forward and he did a 180 degree turn. And I, at the, before he passed away, um, I used to pick him up for our Kiwanis meetings and his wife would be like, you listen to Amy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so I do feel like I'm not, I'm not jaded by other people's opinions if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that the fact that when you enrolled in the military or enlisted in the military, that you had this term that you were contractually obligated to filling had anything to do with your willingness to stay through that kind of treatment? Or do you think you would have stayed anyways? I think I would have retracted and second guessed my choices. And the reason being is because I feel like I am one of I'm very lucky that, you know, my dad and I do not have a perfect relationship by any means. He was a Marine, so he eats crayons. But um, <laughs> we golf together. He tries to cheat. No, I'm playing. But, um, the one thing he got right, I feel, was raise me with self-worth. And the reason why I could not stay in the Army at that time is because I could tell people did not see my worth. And it's not like picking this book versus this book. It was way more visceral than that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see how I could, like you, you fight. It's almost like fighting the same battle over and over mm -hmm. again. Every new command, every new leadership team, every everything. And because I was raised with worth, this, I can't do this. I'm not going to continue to do this. Yeah. Like, um, I know I'm worth, I'm worthy because, you know, it sounds trivial. My daddy told me so, you know what I mean? Yeah. I struggle with self-esteem, mm. so I can't wear the mini skirt and feel comfortable or do this, that, and the other. I, I struggle with self-esteem like many girls do, but I don't struggle with self-worth. Yeah. And so that is so intrinsically different. Agreed. And so, um, so I would have to say if I wasn't under contract, if I could have gotten out sooner, I probably would have, but I wouldn't necessarily have doubted my decision. 
um, I was heartbroken. Yeah. You know, I um, went to a women's uh, class that was like a Clemente. It was looking at women in service. And there mm -hmm. was a woman who was like one of the first sergeant majors in the JAG Corps. Wow. And so she's, she's 30 years my senior. Actually. Okay. So, I mean, truly a trailblazer, right? Yeah. Um, and she talked about this amazing military career and it almost broke my heart because mm. that's all I wanted. And we talked some, there was a lot of guys in the class, even though it was women's um, uh, military service who argued with everything. Of course they did. <laughs> and so, so Carol and I didn't get to have like the real conversation mm -hmm. that I would have loved to have had. Like, you know, do you feel like you were ever a cog preventing women's stories mm -hmm. Or was she an advocate? I don't know. Cause we never got to that point. Yeah. You know, and but I think it helped me frame to realize that almost like I grieved leaving the service. Yeah. I think that what you said is such an incredible distinction that needs to be made about like, you know, you could leave and say, you know, let's, let's assume for just a second that you weren't under contract. You could have retreated and there would have been two different ways to think about that. You could have seen it as a retreat. What was I thinking? Why did I think I could do this? Or like you said, it could be a, I'm going to go somewhere that I'm wanted where my resources and my talents and the knowledge and skill that I have can be put to use from somebody who's willing to utilize me. And those two things, I feel like so many times people commit to something and it's not what's in their best interest, but they have this story that they've been told their entire life that when you commit to something, you have to finish it. So they keep pushing forward through things because they see retreating as giving up, where in all reality, changing where your resources go is sometimes the best way to win at exactly what you're doing. Well, and I agree. Like I had, uh, I went golfing with a girlfriend today and I was actually wanting to um, get your opinion on this. So in the past, I had coordinated uh, charity golf tournaments. Okay. So the credit union that I um, worked for, I built their charity golf tournament up from a couple thousand to $53,000 within like, say, four years. Okay. Um, I did a USA's golf tournament never had as big of a payout, but part of that is because nobody owes us anything. Like when you do it in a business, mm -hmm. you get your printer to do it and you get the person yep. who supplies your pins to do it. And the, you get um, the card services person to do it and the facilities manager to do it. And so you can raise a lot more money because it it's for a good cause, but you have more strengths, right? Yes. When you do it from the charity perspective that nobody owes you anything, it's a much harder sell, right? So um, I worked for this company and I was doing a golf tournament. And um, when I left them to work for the Travis Mannion Foundation, I actually squared it up to where I could continue to organize for this golf tournament. Um, I could do it... Um, I talked about it through my entire interview process, the whole nine yards, right? Okay. Well, the company that I worked for, me and the boss had a very different view on how to build the golf tournament. And so then he wanted to bring me down to um, 
basically like he was paying me five dollars or five hours a week to do it. Okay. And golf tournaments are really big time commitments, mm -hmm. relationship, any fundraising thing. Right. Yep. And so I was like, I I'm going to drive myself crazy if I say yes to this because it doesn't it doesn't allow me to align with my own values. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to truly do it well, or I'm going to be doing it well, and I'm not shown my worth. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and it just, I felt like, Ooh, you know, I'm, I'm getting into this gray area. So I chose not to, but I felt guilty because mm. these are charities that I really believe in. Right. Yeah. But so I stepped away and at the very last minute he invited me to go and it was on the same day as my Boy Scouts event. And I'm like, I can't, Scott, you know, like I really appreciate it. I mean, I loved that he invited me. Yeah. But um, it was it was weird anyhow. So I was at his office earlier today because I had forgotten some chairs there and we were talking about different things. And my girlfriend goes, you should tell him that you'll help him with the golf tournament next year. Cause next year there shouldn't be a conflict because the boy Scouts things only four every four years. And I'm like, mm, but he could have asked me mm -hmm. if he values me. He would ask me it. What yeah. I'm doing is now running after him. Yeah. And yeah. That whole chasing thing never works out the way that. Well, and, and she's like, no, I think you should do it. Cause you like doing those. And I'm like, yeah, but I could help anyone. Yeah. Like I, and it is hard because I do love the charities and I would help almost for free. I'd almost help for free over being paid an amount that I feel is disrespectful. Yeah. I mean, it's just like coaching, right? It's like a, a situation Maybe. where you know that you can make a huge impact on somebody's life and they have to invite you in to be able to do that. So even when we have the tools, resources, and knowledge to be able to make a difference in a charity or a business or somebody's life on their own, um, we can't insert ourselves into that situation until we're invited to do so. Otherwise, um, we get taken advantage of. And, and I don't know about you, but I've always found myself in this situation where every time I chase, every time I do something like that, I end up at some point in time feeling like it's not the right fit, but then feeling like I can't back out because I begged to be there. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's such an interesting dynamic that people don't think about enough. Yeah. So I felt like, yeah. And I think like in the world of volunteerism, which is something that I would really say is you really, you need to understand that possibilities are everywhere. Yeah. I felt like I left there. I left there in a really good way. However, I, um, I still, you, that's when you feel like maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Yeah. Right? So then I, I pivot over here and I'm doing this completely different job, but I have a really big event and my boss flies in from California to come and stuff like that. And she's like, this is awesome. It is so organized. It is so laid out. Perfect. The venue's great. The da da da. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> I do know my stuff, you know, like it. And it's, it's weird because you forget how things can affect you. 
Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, that that human part of relationships. And this is something that um, you mentioned before that I wanted to touch on. And um, I'm glad that we circled back to this, that the relationships that you build, you know, you were talking about the golf tournament being such a drain on relationships. Everything really is because it has to start with the relationship. And too often people start with the end in mind and their goal in mind. Mm -hmm. And then they think that the relationship is a byproduct of that goal. And in reality, the goal is a byproduct of that relationship, but not enough people spend their time in that thinking. And I agree with that. I, um, I also, I mean, to me, relationships are king. They are, it's belonging, it's um, worthiness, it's all the things, right? All the things. Finding your tribe, finding your direction, your purpose, and all of that has to be complex. Um, it has to be time. If you're, you know, people, uh, I was <laughs> at an event and this one guy uh, that I worked with, he goes, I hate networking events. I hate chatting with people. I don't want to hear about your kids. I don't care about those things. And then he goes, I don't know um, why I'm, I'm so bad at these. <laughs> Maybe it's because you don't want to know anything about anybody. Well, that's what I said. So I said, I think you, I think you do. I think you just told us, you don't, yeah. like people. you don't want to know about the kids, you know, da, da, da. And I had to leave right at that moment. So I was like, sorry, you got this right. I leave. Right. So then the very next time he saw me, he came running up. He goes, Amy, I think I misrepresented myself to you. <laughs> of course. And you know, it's, it's so much though. And what's really cool is that when you call them on it, they end up saying like, no, I like people. Right. And then it causes them to think about what it really is. Like I have a really good friend of mine who, for the purposes of this conversation will remain nameless, who had told me in a conversation, she's like, I just, I don't network well. And I said, well, what's the purpose of continuing to tell yourself that you don't do something well? And she says, well, I mean, I just, I don't want people to tell me about their vacations that they're taking and the kids, their, their things that they're doing with their kids when I'm living paycheck to paycheck. And I said, that has nothing to do with your ability to network and everything to do with your unwillingness to own the things that you don't like about your current situation. And I feel like that's what happens more than anything is people know that the moment that they get put in a room with other people, that there are going to be people there that they wish they were like. And instead of taking responsibility of saying, what do I like about this person and how do I create it for myself? They say, I don't want to hear about your vacations that you took last summer because I couldn't take one. That's so interesting that I've never thought of things that way. Like I've always loved to network and I have a theory on names. Like I feel like you ask nine out of 10 people if you're good with names and they go, no. Yeah. And um, I feel like people don't realize, I feel like probably 85% of the people are good with names, but they don't realize that they've used the names, their names in, in very specific areas. So mm -hmm. We have a friend um, in common named Michael who loves sports. He can tell you the lineup of all these different sports people. Yeah. Right? And um, But if you ask him if he's good with names, he might say no. We have um, my husband who 
cannot stand sports, doesn't know anybody in sports. We'll say he's not good with names, but jazz singers from like 1920. Yeah. He knows their entire band, you know, um, specific artists and weird, really weird movies, different things like that. He knows all the actors and actresses and all these music things. It would be interesting to do a study to find out actually what the mean is for names. Yeah. And be able to draw out uh, because then you choose. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of different things that I'll say about that because um, I was having a conversation with somebody in branding and he said something that forever changed the way that I introduce myself to people. He said, people don't care what your name is until they know what you can do for them. They don't care who you are until they know why it matters. And I thought that's a really cynical, horrible, non-human way to think about life. But it's true. Like how many times have you been in a conversation with somebody and you're like, hey, I'm Amy. And they're like, hi, Amy. And then you know that they forgot your name already. And then you're talking and you're like, hey, I help organizations. I help with leadership. I work in a nonprofit. I have this military background. And now all of a sudden they're seeing ways that they can connect and relate to you. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. What was your name again? And then they remember it, right? And so you're right that, um, you know, when it comes to musicians, when it comes to sports, when it comes to, you know, whatever it is that's important to us, we remember it because it's important. So when, and, and I've been guilty of this, when you go networking and you're like, God, I cannot remember that person's name. What I've had to do is start shifting and be like, why did I, what was the purpose of me showing up in a relationship where I didn't think that the other person that was part of that conversation was worth remembering? Because the moment you say that, you're like, shit, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to show up that way. So I want to make sure that every time I have a conversation with somebody, I am present enough to be able to remember their name and convince them they matter. So I think I do the same thing but I see it a little different, but I do like, so what I tell um, my kids and stuff is stars don't know me. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really concerned with knowing them, but geez, if I can remember the girl that I met at the gym the other day, whose name's Hannah. Next time I see her, um, that will make her feel so special. Yeah. Be, you know, and I think um, that is, more important to me. And so I focus my attention, but I also, so I also feel like when we learn stars names, we never measure how long it took us to know them. No, not at all. And it's also like a, um, deeper emotional connection. Like I know musicians names, I know sports athletes names, but when I think of those names, I have an emotional connection to that. So we as people get to figure out how we can create that emotional connection and um, create that in a way that others will remember our name. Like we as networkers, when we're talking to somebody, have the responsibility to remember somebody's name, however that works for people. Some people use the, the, what are they called? Um, and what, what are the like phrases called where you like create a, um, mnemonic, mnemonic devices, like they'll create a new mnemonic device for names, um, or they'll repeat it like 15 times in their head or whatever it takes, right. For us to remember somebody's name. 
But imagine how amazing it would be if when we went out to introduce ourselves to somebody, we knew, hey, this person is probably not going to remember my name unless I give them a reason to. So let me give them a reason to. And we well, led with that. Well, and I think um, I agree. And I also think like it's it's understanding the process. Like, I don't feel like you failed if you don't remember my name the very next time you meet me. So it's the second time we met. Um, but, and I, and I would take, so at the gym here again, um, there's a little girl that, um, talked with me because the coach was talking with me about powerlifting. She's like, oh, I powerlift too, but I'm not confident enough to go to a meet. I'm like, you should totally go to a meet. All the athletes are uber supportive. It is the greatest energy. You have bodies, all different shapes. Like it's a really neat thing to do. And so do I remember her name? I do not. I remember Hannah's name, but I don't remember what Hannah did. But I remember this chick is into powerlifting, but I don't remember her name. Yeah. So the next time I see her, I'm going to talk powerlifting with her. But I'll be honest, I don't, I don't even know if we said our names. Yeah. You but know? even remembering something like when I um, was overcoming so much of my self-worth issues that I used to have. I realized that the reason it was so hard for me to remember other people's names is because I didn't want them to remember mine. Um, and, and maybe not even didn't want them to, but like I would, for example, I was at the dog park maybe five years ago. And, and I remember this moment very specifically because it was the moment that it hit for me that I had self-esteem issues and self-worth issues that I had finally broken through. Um, I had gone to the dog park. I had met somebody. We were talking. She was telling me about what she did for a living. And we were talking about dogs and all that stuff. And then we left. And then we came back. And it was probably a week later. And she's like, hey, Amber, you have you have the German Shepherd and you're the attorney, right? And I remember being so flabbergasted that someone would remember me. And then I sat in my car and I thought, when? Did I become the person who didn't think I was worth remembering? And I think that there's a lot of that that goes on that people don't realize about themselves. Because for me, if I was very independent. And if you would have told me, you know, you kind of have some self-worth and self-esteem issues, I would have been like, get the fuck out of here. No, I don't. Like, I know that I'm valuable. But if I know that I'm valuable, then why don't I think I'm worth remembering? Why doesn't, why does it surprise me when somebody remembers my name instead of me thinking that that should be the given because I'm worth knowing? And that was the moment that I was like, this has got to change. Hmm. Yeah. I think um, it's, yeah, I, it's a complicated um, self-esteem versus self-worth is mm -hmm. complicated. Like I, like I shared earlier, I'm, I am very much struggle with self-esteem, but mm -hmm. not self-worth. And so it, it really plays differently. What's the difference for you? What do you think the difference is? Cause I know everybody thinks about this differently. Um, so for me, it's like, um, like I'm fine to be on the stage. I'm fine to do the thing or whatever, but, um, cameras like big cameras can make me very nervous. Um, and, I think um, it, geez, I feel like I am very comfortable being the worker bee. Mm. And if, 
So I can be on the stage if I'm teaching a class and I see that there's a value that I'm giving to the people. Like if it's those, you know, complex conversations or I'm really working with understanding marginalized youth, teaching mm. with poverty in mind, the, these are huge topics. And so they're not, you're not looking at me. Mm -hmm. But um, the, when I lose a bunch of weight and all of a sudden get more male attention, I, my anxiety skyrockets. Mm -hmm. I have challenges with that. And so I can tell there's very different ways in which, so I'm confident in certain, like so confident in certain areas yeah. and so not confident in other areas. It's so interesting to me because one of the things that's just yelling at me is like, as you're talking is knowing that the information that you have and the skills and knowledge that you have are valuable and useful to others. And knowing that like you as a human have worth, but then second guessing constantly, like whether you are the one that should be delivering it in certain contexts, like the video or the, the images or, and, and that's such an interesting dynamic that I feel like we always have to balance. And I've never thought about the difference very deeply before this conversation. To me, I just always lumped them together. And now that we're having this conversation, they're clearly not. Well, well, they haven't been for me. Um, you know, and they might be for some, I don't know. I can't speak for everybody, but I just, for me, this is, um, and it, it's funny to me sometimes, um, where that's, I know, I know if I'm lacking confidence in a certain area, I'm with a bunch of people that are super successful. And I don't necessarily think my message is that grand. Like, so I would say me, you, our friend, Melissa, you know, like all professional women, right? Mm -hmm. I could feel um, less confident in that scenario because I don't necessarily know what I could teach you ladies mm. because I feel like you have it on your own. But mm. if you said, if you guys as a group were coming together to fundraise for some cause, then I know I could get on board with that mm. and I could contribute and I could benefit the group. Mm. But so I don't get into areas that I don't feel like I'm going to be a benefit. Yeah. And I think that that is a skill. I mean, I disagree with you in the fact that you wouldn't have anything to teach us. Um, however, I think that it is also a very important skill to stay in the lane that you're comfortable in um, and to be aware of yourself enough to say, this is where I belong. Could I do the other things? Absolutely, I could because I'm strong and capable. And I know that this is where my energy is the most useful to others. And I think that that's a really cool skill to exercise. Like I know, I feel like in those areas, in all those areas, I know just enough to get in trouble. Mm. Like I love law and research and stuff like that, but I, I could get in trouble if I tried to be a lawyer, right? Oh, absolutely. Hell, I feel like I could get in trouble if I tried to be a lawyer half the time <laughs> and I've had a law degree for 10 years. So no. <laughs> but I mean, like even Dawn, like being an accountant, I've, you know, I'm on the board of a credit union. Um, I've run two credit unions and yet I know I could get in trouble being an accountant. You yeah. know, absolutely. 
Well, I ask every single one of my guests this question, and I'm really interested with the experiences that you've had in your life to hear your answer. I believe that too often we spend our life chasing accomplishments instead of chasing an actual vision that we want our life to be. And as a result, we end up many times climbing mountains that don't matter to us. I also believe that the way to fix this is to be abundantly clear about why we're doing each thing that we're doing, keeping in mind a specific definition of success. So I ask every single one of my guests, what does success mean to you? How do you define it for yourself? So for myself, self, I define sex. (laughs) 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 Success as freedom. Ooh. Okay. And what does freedom mean to you? Like freedom to do what I want to do when I want to do it. So just autonomy to, Mm. um, like, I think it would be amazing to be able to put like a hundred thousand dollars in four different charities and, Mm. you know, different things like that. Um, but success to me is freedom. Um, Mm. Love that. I love that. And I like that when I asked you what freedom meant, because most people talk about how, Um, They want to be able to be location independent. They want to be able to go wherever they want. They want to be able to work when they want. And that's a part of it. But then you went this whole other direction in saying, I want to be able to support others whenever I want. And this like monetary and resource side of it that I think is sometimes forgotten when we talk about freedom. Well, and I think, you know, like you have billionaires that are super sad inside Mm. that um, aren't happy with their lives, but they have everything. And you, you and I both love country music. So yes. like there's, there's a song, you know, um, something and I'd buy a boat and yep. you should buy a truck in, in different things like that. And I think simplistically wise, that is true there. You know, I could, um, buy a lot of happiness, I suppose. However, I feel like it's things that are relative, like the things that really matter to me is that I get access to my grandkids. Mm-hmm. And we have silly fun times. Yes. And I can do it. So I have a lot of freedom, not total freedom, but I have a lot of freedom even with my job. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I got COVID and I had to um, delay a couple backpack giveaways and stuff like that. And it was too bad, but it wasn't the end of the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a different type of job and I'm at a different level in my life to where I'm like 80% there. Yeah. Well, and I love that you mentioned that too, because I feel like in this space, there's way too many people that are saying that in order to be happy and have that type of freedom, you have to be self-employed. And I completely disagree with that entire rhetoric. Self-employed is not for everybody. It is about finding the freedom and the happiness within what you're capable of doing and what you want to do and what risks you're willing to take and what um, type of personality you have to be able to be self-motivating. Like all of those things have to go into it. And I've coached people that are like, I don't want to do anything other than a nine to five and then go home and spend time with my family. And who am I to tell them that that's wrong? right? All of society tells them that that's wrong, that they don't have enough ambition and they don't want to do anything else. And who am I to tell them that having going home at five o'clock to your family every single day and having a job that is simply a job to you is wrong if family is what your idea of success is. Right. And I agree with that a hundred percent. And I think 
um, that's part of it. Like, I think we need to learn how to be inclusive for everyone. Yeah. You know? I 100% agree. Um, yes. And I think, um, but it's, it's hunting for the goodness in our life. Yes. People get so bogged down with, you know, um, the rhetoric that's on TV, the social justice issues, the, you know, kids in, um, schools and different things like that. And then they don't actually participate in the solutions and they're constantly, they're winning the battle because they find the things that they're hunting for. Yeah. Without realizing like I yeah. hunt for the good. I, I enjoy the little things, you know? Um, and that's what brings me the most joy. Yep. Know? 100%. And that's exactly like, what, um, you know, we talk about so often is this idea of having a direction because otherwise, like, you don't know why you don't feel whole. And so you just start doing things to try to fill that bucket up. And then you've got all of these awards and accomplishments and you still feel empty. And it's because you never took time to define what was going to make you whole. Um, one of my absolutely favorite things that has ever been said to me in this area was actually from an online dating profile. And it has stuck with me forever because it hit home. I was scanning profiles and in the top section where they write like something about them um, or what I'm doing with my life was the prompt. And this guy's answer was recovering after a lifetime of collecting letters after my name. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's funny. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can resonate with that. Like I have letters after my name and the things that I had to give up to get those um, were choices that I made. And I'm glad I made them because I'm glad of the life I have right now, but I made them for the wrong reason. I think um, it's realizing all the choices, you know, that we make. Um, but I, uh, I am thankful for the life that I have led. I think one of the things that I struggle with, with um, maybe the self worth self-esteem issue is doing too much. Mm -hmm. And um, like I've had to work a lot with my um, counselors on, like I got really frustrated and I felt like I was asking for help and nobody's yeah. helping me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at first they were like, well, you don't normally ask for help. So, um, people don't know what to do with that. And so I had to sit with that and that was really interesting and difficult for me. And then, um, then it's, you know, it's kind of also about communication. Mm -hmm. So help is a big word. Yes. What does it mean? Yep. What are you asking me? Yep. And then being able to drill down and then, um, also normalizing mental health. Yep having successful women talk about going to therapists mm -hmm. and this is my tool, you know, um, and I saw a really great Facebook post and it's gotta be like a year ago. That was like, let's share the tools. What's the best thing in therapy you learned? Mm -hmm. And it was everybody just sharing the one thing that resonated with them. And I'm like, we should be doing that all the time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and for me, yeah, 100%. And I went through that with my journey as well, because I'm in a very high um, 
high performing male dominated profession where you just don't talk about your feelings, right? The legal profession is not something where you go around talking about what you talked about in therapy last week. And so because of that, um, I felt like I was doing something wrong when I started going to therapy and it was opening up about that, that kind of allowed me to realize that there are people that are suffering in silence about this all the time and they're trying to change the rhetoric. What was really interesting for me though, and this is something I always share with people as well, is that therapy kind of opened the door for me, but it was NLP that changed everything because for me, therapy, like I would have panic attacks and anxiety attacks and they would, like therapy taught me when you have a panic attack, here's how you deal with it. NLP taught me this is why you have a panic attack and this is how to change it. And so it prevented it from even happening. And I thought, man, it was so, 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 so valuable. So I feel like talk therapy absolutely has its place and also should be used in conjunction with other things. I 100%. 100% yeah. agree with that. I'm in a group um, that we have a friend who's been, um, who's done things with this group before, and it's called MVP, which is Mostly okay. Players, and it's only for combat veterans. Okay. And what's nice is we talk about different modalities. Mm. So, um, so like uh, equine therapy, and mm -hmm. um, they've done rapid eye movement therapy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of like the, the brain scans, yeah. so, you know, and all the different ones. And because there's, I feel like at different, so I did uh, NLP therapy and then went to a counselor kind of with some of the things that I learned from it. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was really successful for me, but then, so I think it's all of these things that I mm -hmm. think that's the part that um, yeah. we need them all at different times to do different things to get different places. Yes. And if we see therapists as only laying on the couch, only talk therapy, only um, this way, you're only going to get so much out of it. But if, you know, um, we make it where we're sharing, oh, well, you know, that was okay for some things, but really I you know, um, I really let go a lot of traumas from this, like, and, and LP was, was life-changing for me on how I viewed food. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the fact that like, it's never anything that we just go through and then we're done, right? Like it's this lifetime learning of constantly being able to open up deeper and deeper and make changes because we're never like, we're not robots. It's not like you just flip a switch and we're okay. Right. And I think uh, one of the best phrases I actually learned was from uh, Brene Brown from her book is um, the story I'm telling myself is. Yes. So when I say that to my husband about whatever, then it gives him the ability to, to engage in, in differently. Yeah, absolutely. So he's not just coming from his perspective he now knows what my perspective is. So it's a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And my favorite thing from my old therapist is my thoughts, my choice. Yep. 100%. I love that. And so in learning that you and I can go through the same experience and our narratives can be completely different and they never have to rectify. Yep. 100%.
Amy, I absolutely love this conversation and you and I could talk for days as we have learned every single time we are together. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your insight. Um, if people want to follow up on the nonprofit that you work for, if they want to continue this conversation with you, if they want to connect with you in any way, what's the best way for them to reach you? I'd say Facebook and it's just my name. Um, awesome. Yeah. And I will also say Amber on, in the live recording. Uh, if there's ever anything I can do for you, I would love to help you in any way. I really and appreciate I feel that. Like you're one of those people that are a little bit higher than the rest of us. And I don't know how I could help. Um, but if I could, I would love the opportunity. You know, I used to be the type of person that put people on pedestals. And then um, I realized how un productive that is. So there is always something that you can add to every single person. And I really hope that you um, take that and run with it because you are such an amazing human being that has so much to share. And um, I know that you have a ton that you could teach me and everybody else. Um, and I'm excited to see you share that with the world. I will say my book will be done by the end of Yay! this year. Um, Stories of a Volunteerholic. I love and it. So hopefully uh, next spring I'll do a book launch. We'll see. I love it. Well, Amy, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, and we will put all of your contact information in the show notes so that people can reach out and say hi. I would love that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that sounds like something that you're interested in. The name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.